0: Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the 174th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, an information technology, cybersecurity, and digital forensics firm in Fairfax, Virginia.
0: And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is Your Law Firm Cookbook, How and Why. Our guest today is Catherine Sanders-Reach, who is director for the Center for Practice Management at the North Carolina Bar Association, providing practice, technology, and management assistance to lawyers and legal professionals. Formerly, she was director law practice management and technology for the Chicago Bar Association and the director at the American Bar Association's Legal Technology Resource Center. Prior to her work with those bar associations, she worked in library and information science environments for several years, working at Ross and Hardy's as a librarian. She received a master's degree in library and information studies from the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa in 1997. Thanks for joining us, Catherine.
2: Thanks, Jim, and thanks, Sharon. Having seen so
1: many frazzled lawyers, I know that you have a wonderful answer to why does a law firm need documented standard operating procedures?
2: Well... Sharon, it's my current obsession because of two primary reasons. One, at the North Carolina Bar Association, my job is to help attorneys with practice management issues. And that ranges from startups to wind downs and everything in between. So I do a lot of needs assessment with firms that are trying to kind of, I think the pandemic spurred a lot of realization that their technology was not up to snuff. When they went to remote, they found that their systems weren't really optimized for that and so they started investigating how they could do things better but throughout the process of, of doing the needs assessment what i was finding was that no one attorney and even small firms answer the questions the same way in terms of how they even did things how do they you know how do they assign tasks how do they do collections how do they get the bills out where do they store documents what's technology do they use and i started realizing this stuff's not documented And then the next thing that kind of came about was the great resignation. And it's not just people resigning and moving to another firm or leaving, leaving firm world altogether. It's also retirements, unfortunately, sudden demise, all sorts of things where, you know, basically the knowledge is walking out the door or disappearing. And so I started really getting focused on standard operating procedures and this isn't just in law firms either. I, my husband started a new job and you know, two weeks into his job, people started saying, well, no one showed you how to do that. You don't know how to do that. And so from an onboarding perspective, you know, if you ask a lot of young attorneys what kind of onboarding procedures they had in the firm, a lot of times I was thrown to the wolves. And so that's not the best way to introduce people, whether they're firm attorneys or their support staff, how to get things done and how to get things done the way the firm prefers them to be done. Also, obviously, business continuity is a big motivator for getting your standard operating procedures documented in case something happens. And also, because once you develop those checklists and keep those checklists up to date, you're going to reduce the risk of somebody forgetting to do something, somebody forgetting to close the file, somebody forgetting to, you know, send in a particular notice to the court, what, whatever it is. When you're working off a checklist, and I know Jim and Sharon, y'all are both familiar with the checklist manifesto um, by Atul Gawande and how that has changed some industries like medicine, where they were able to track reductions in infections, mistakes. I mean, you always hear, especially if you're in MedMel, the horror stories about having people have the wrong leg operated on. And I've noticed that when I go to the doctor now, They have a checklist that they ask, and they have you repeat things over and over with every different person. What's your first and last name? What's your date of birth? To make sure they're actually working on the right person. It's um, a bit comforting, I think. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, increasing your efficiency, you start looking at your written-down processes and realizing, hey, you know what? We've got three people re-keying information in three different places, How can we become more efficient and consolidate those efforts and save time and spend less administrative hassle?
0: Well, Catherine, how do busy lawyers make time to do this?
2: It's not just the busy lawyers. It's the busy everybody in the firm. And I think the best way to do this, and this is going to be the lowest tech thing I'm going to ever say, get a legal pad and a pen and write down what you're doing if that is the comfort level that someone has so that every day people just start documenting what they do on a daily basis. And, you know, obviously there's plenty of tools that you can use, but at the very base level, just kind of getting people to track how they do things as they do them and not trying to come up with some master list of every single thing, because you're going to spend more time forgetting what you should have documented than just letting everybody do it all day.
1: Well, you mentioned uh, tools, Catherine. So what kind of useful tools are out there that'll make this whole process a little easier?
2: Well, there's a whole lot on the market. And uh, I did send y'all a link to an article that I wrote that describes some of the tools that are out there. One that I really think is interesting that I think was born during the pandemic is called Loom. And it's about $8 per creator per month. And creator means the person who's actually creating the little video tutorial. And you just use your screen and webcam, which we all have now, and it lets you document what you're doing on the screen and narrate it as you go. It really couldn't be any more simple. And then they will host those video tutorials for you. That creator price doesn't include the people who are watching the video. It's just the people creating it. So if you only have two or three people actually creating these procedures, everybody can see them and they don't have to pay eight bucks a piece. And then it's held in a private team library. So it's, you know, that's one of the kind of easy ones. Now, recognizing that not everybody is video oriented. If you go, well, we want actually step-by-step guides, something that's written down. There's another tool called Scribe, and it also lets you record, but with a lot more annotation around that recording on how to create different procedures, you know, your non-engagement agreement or how to add a new client to the system, things like that. So it's similar in that it's a closed environment just for the firm to have access to those procedures. And then there's things like Sweet Process, which has been around for a long time. And Sweet Process and another product that's a major competitor called Trainual, they're divided up into processes, policies, people, and company. And so you start filling in the blanks. I really am surprised and somewhat chagrined at how many firms I've talked to who don't have written policies and procedures in place. It is definitely the cobbler's children in that area. And so, you know, having this stuff documented, realizing what you don't have, and even in a small firm, you know, having who works for whom is important. So you can start building out that org chart and everything like that. And that's, those two products are trainual and sweet process. Sweet process is a bit more expensive and a little bit more extensive than Trainual.
1: Well, that's a lot of good tips there. The nice products to take a look at and see what will work best for your firm.
2: I should mention, (laughs) if you don't have this money to buy one of those products or just don't want to – Look at the tools you already have, even a shared Word document. You know, it doesn't have to be expensive or extensive. If you want to just get started somewhere, you know, using tools that you have on the desktop, there's a video recorder built into Windows and in the Mac. There's shared documents in Microsoft Word or Google Docs or whatever. So you don't have to rush out and buy a product, especially if you're just getting started and getting people up to speed on using a tool in and of itself, is intimidating.
0: Catherine, what should we document?
2: I think legal how-to is definitely one of them. So if you do probate, you know, there's a whole lot of steps. They're all important. It's important that they're done in the same order. So starting to document how you do certain legal things, a, a real estate closing Uh, corporate business creation, things like that, but also your daily processes, the client intake, the conflicts check. When do you send out the engagement agreement and which version? Closing the files. Jim and I have talked about closing the client portal. So one of the things that we're going to, I think, discuss a little bit later (laughs) is all of those sound like, you know, we'll document our client intake. You start documenting it and you realize that thing is a beast in and of itself. It branches, it has different, you know, if and thens. So even just one in quotes, simple thing, like a conflict check, it can grow into quite a substantive list, but it's also going to point out where You're not doing the things that you might should. For instance, with conflicts check, if you've got your office administrator before she opens a a file, go in and run a conflicts check by searching through a database. Is that really all you need to be doing? Maybe you should also send out an email to everybody in the firm to double check that there's no conflict. And it's not just sending out an email, but it's also tracking that you get responses from everybody and so on and so forth. So you can start looking at your processes holistically and making sure that you're really doing everything that you need to do. And then, again, kind of figuring out where things aren't being done effectively or efficiently.
0: Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc that's s t a f i . c c and get $500 off with code happy24
1: Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network Today our subject is your law firm cookbook how and why our guest is Catherine Sanders-Reach, who is our friend and the Director for the Center of Practice Management at the North Carolina Bar Association, providing practice, technology, and management assistance to lawyers and legal professionals. Formerly, she was Director Law Practice Management and Technology for the Chicago Bar Association and the Director at the American Bar Association's Legal Technology Research Center. So Catherine, as somebody who uh, does cybersecurity, I know there's a really good answer to where should we store the cookbook. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Now I'm afraid, Sharon, to answer your question, (laughs) (laughs) qualified thus. I mean, when I was thinking about my responses to the questions, I thought online. However, obviously, there are some protections that you want to add to that. And so if you're in a Microsoft 365 environment with a a SharePoint set up for a server replacement there, if you really want to protect it, if you've got some secret sauce in there, password protect the document. But I do think something, and then of course the tools that we talked about like Notion and and Scribe and things are password protected online repositories. I think it's important that everybody who needs to have access has access. You may create a read-only document and give permissions to certain people to be able to edit it or create a workflow so that it is approved before it's finalized, things like that. In our modern environment, I don't think that it's really effective to have a printed manual and a binder under the receptionist's desk which is how firms used to do it. It's not available to people when they need it. They may, you know, not be fully back in the office or they've enjoyed the freedom of movement (laughs) and they still need to know how to do something. One firm that I I talked to about how they do things, they keep it all online because they have hired talent from around the country, even though they're a North Carolina-based firm. And so they have everything stored online. So did I do okay, Sharon? You
1: you did really really good about protecting it. I would offer also two factor authentication in order to get into the cookbook. That's always a good idea. And the other thing is something we have seen with an incident response plan, which is sort of like a cookbook in that it has great value. And this one firm got hit by ransomware, and you know their incident response plan it was in one place in one place only, so it got encrypted <laughs> along with everything else. So now they had no incident response plan. So with the cookbook, I think it's the same thing. You've got to make sure it's in more than one place and never connected to the network entirely. So one one version could be connected to the network, but you have to have, just like in the backups, you have to have the cookbook in a backup that's not connected.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And And, you know point well taken. The incident response plan doesn't do you much good if it's been hacked and, and encrypted with everything else. Uh, so, um, I feel like that you might want to print and stick on the wall um, <laughs> or at least an outline of the plan. If worried, do this next. Um, and, and I have had panicked calls over the weekend. So, I'm not the person to contact Sharon sure it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's funny. We each have our own realms, right?
2: Yes.
0: Well, that's a very interesting. Anything else we can do with the firm cookbook?
2: Well, one of the things, you know, that used to be a big topic of conversation that seems to have kind of slid out of interest, at least in the small and medium-sized private firm market that I generally run around in, is the concept of knowledge management, it's not that it's gone away i think maybe we expressed it like that and it wasn't resonating with people but i think that something else you can have in your firm cookbook you know especially if you look at those, some of those products that are you know have policies and people is creating some sort of knowledge management information about the people in your firm and what they know So you might go to LinkedIn to look for this kind of thing, but not everybody keeps their LinkedIn up to date or they don't include everything. But maybe it would be nice to know that your, you know, your new lateral worked for certain companies before going into law or that an attorney has um, skills that they are not using in your current firm from a previous firm or that your paralegal also is, which is pretty often the case, a notary, things like that. All the things that you might need to know to leverage the people in your firm as well as the processes i think could be well documented. And and right now again a lot of firms are back in the office, but in my world we've hired so many people over the pandemic and haven't fully gone back to the office. I've never even seen some of the people that i work with. I wouldn't recognize them on the street. So, you know, having a kind of a facebook of sorts and i don't mean Facebook, I mean, having a picture along with the descriptions of the person's skills and background.
1: So, what are the best tools, do you think, Catherine, for task management?
2: So, we're switching gears a little bit because process documentation and standard operating procedures often do include sort of tasks lists. But then the other thing that I was finding with my needs assessment is that when i ask how do you manage tasks in the firm it would be a combination of email post it notes walk down the hall and i thought well my goodness you know what happens when susie turns in her two weeks notice and you have no idea what she was doing where she was in any particular project so you go through that process of standard operating procedures and start generating the how-tos of doing things, which turn themselves conveniently into a kind of a checklist. And so for task management, my favorite personal tool that does have some extensibility in terms of minor assignments to other people within the organization is to do. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. One, to do is part of the Microsoft 365 suite, so it doesn't cost me anything extra. And it also lets you Basically, if you get tasked with something from some other part of the suite, it appears in your to-do. If you flag an email for follow-up, it appears in to-do. And then you have a whole section where you can create groupings and repeatable task lists that can be assigned to whomever you want to invite into the group to do it. So I think to-do for personal use and for small firms is really effective. And then for larger groups, you might want to look at a product like Todoist, which is similar but built for a little bit more robust task management among larger groups.
0: What's the difference between task management and project management?
2: How long do we have again? Um, (laughs) (laughs) The way I kind of break it down is that task management can be somewhat divorced from a full checklist of things to do that apply to a matter or a case so that you start creating projects. So for instance, you're going to do a commercial real estate deal and pick three different types of standard real estate deals, commercial real estate deals you do. Turn that into a project where the project is broken into milestones, the things that absolutely need to be done by a certain time in order to move everything forward. Then within that, there are tasks that have to be accomplished in order to meet that milestone. And within each task, there may be subtasks, dependent tasks, things like that. That's when we start moving into project management tools like Anything from what's built into your practice management product to more robust things like Monday.com or Asana, Microsoft 365 has Planner. It's not the world's most robust project management tool. And, you know, if you've never used a Gantt chart before, don't start now. (laughs) Just start (laughs) documenting those processes, figuring out what tasks belong in them, and then starting to create these repeatable processes so that... Everything has a task, an assignment, and a deadline. And I think what's most important with the project management tools that distinguishes it from task management is that you can get reporting. So I, as the administrator of the project, can go see who's late with what, what's been done, what hasn't been done, where we're in jeopardy of not meeting our deadlines, that kind of thing.
0: Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break.
2: Filing Court Documents. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. If
1: you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is your law firm cookbook, How and Why. Our guest is Catherine Sanders-Reach, who is the Director for the Center for Practice Management at the North Carolina Bar Association, providing practice technology and management assistance to lawyers and legal professionals. So now that we know the difference between task management and project management, what are the best tools for project management?
2: Many firms that are using a law practice management application, I say application because we distinguish that from software. Some of the software has it in there too, but your more modern browser-based practice management applications are starting to build more and more project and task management workflows. And so, you know, I'm always a big proponent for starting with what you've already got. So start investigating the tools that you use every day to see if there's some sort of project management tool. Now, they may not match the description of project management that I just provided. And if that is something that is of value to you to see it like that, then you can kind of move into the more project management standalone applications, some of which may integrate with your practice management application I know that Teams in Microsoft 365 is not a project management tool on its own, even though they're starting to build in some interesting workflow tools into the chat itself. But you can also add Planner to a Teams workspace and create little projects there. They are by default in the Kanban visual orientation so that you have these, what they're called, you know, swim lanes. And Kanban is basically, it's, it's a board and you can, the swim lanes can be your milestones or it can be something as simple as to do, doing done. That's the default. And then with each one of those, there are cards and those are the task cards. What is it? Who's supposed to do it? When it's supposed to be done in any reference material, documentation, and they also build in some conversation around that task itself. And then you move those or just check them off and find them in the done column. I love the done column. It's very satisfying. So other tools start giving you a lot of different ways to envision your Project. So I really like Asana, the paid version, because you get dependencies, you get subtasks, you can look at it in a list view, you can look at it in a board view, it gives you a lot of bells and whistles, and you can get great reporting, filtering, that kind of stuff. I think that's one of the easier tools for lawyers to use because it, it kind of matches how they think. There's, of course, Trello if you're more visual. And then Monday.com is a really interesting product because the templates that you can create based on how you create them can recalculate deadlines. So you kind of count backwards from a certain day and it'll change the deadlines for you, which is, is somewhat unique in some of these lower cost project management tools. There is... A ramp up. So, if you've created those standard operating procedures, you're getting closer to leveraging project management tools without having to spend a ton of time getting everything set up.
0: Well, once it's successfully implemented, what's the uh, return on investment for the cookbook?
2: Well, one hopes that if you lose somebody, you don't lose everything they know when they walk out the door, that when you bring in new people, they can get up to speed and you can focus on a positive experience with starting with the firm and not feeling kind of just left out there to figure things out for themselves. Again, looking for those efficiencies and where things are breaking down, where things aren't happening. And also recognizing, and this is another thing that I harp on all the time, is You've got a lot of tools on your desktop already that you may or may not be taking advantage of. And, it, and simple little automations and things can go a long way to making your life easier. And so when you see when people are taking multiple steps to do something that can be automated or simplified, it's hard to recognize that until you start doing it and look at it holistically.
1: This has been great because there was so much that you said that I did not know about. So, of course, what I don't do is what you do, which is practice management for for lawyers. And this is just a great summary of tools for them to look at. So I know everybody that listens will enjoy it a lot and learn a lot from it. I consider you, Catherine, one of my most invaluable resources.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Sharon.
1: Well, thank you for joining us today. And that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for
0: joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy.